So the great new normal purge has begun, right on cue, right by the numbers. As we, quote unquote, paranoid conspiracy theorists have been warning what happened for the past 18 months, people who refuse to convert to the new official ideology are now being segregated, stripped of their jobs, banned from attending schools, denied medical treatment, and otherwise persecuted. Relentless official propaganda demonizing the quote-unquote unvaccinated is being pumped out by the corporate and state media, government leaders, health officials, and shrieking fanatics on social media. The unvaccinated are the new official untermenschen, an underclass of subhuman others. The new normal masses are being conditioned to hate. Damn. You can see the hatred in the new normals' eyes. But it isn't just a purge of the unvaccinated. Anyone deviating from the official ideology is being systematically demonized and persecuted. Damn. In, in Germany, Australia, and other new normal countries, protesting the new normal is officially outlawed. The new normal Gestapo is going around to people's homes to interrogate them about their anti-new normal Facebook posts. Corporations are openly censoring content that contradicts the official narrative. New normal goon squads roam the streets, checking people's quote-unquote vaccination papers. And it's not just governments and corporations carrying out the new normal purge. Friends are purging friends. Wow. Wives are purging husbands. Fathers are purging children. Children are purging parents. New normals are purging old normal thoughts. Wow. Global health authorities are revising definitions, like the ones I mentioned, to mm -hmm. make them conform to new normal, quote unquote, science. And so on. A new official reality is being manufactured right before our eyes. Anything and anyone that doesn't conform to it is being purged, unpersoned, memory hold, erased. None of which should come as a surprise. Every nascent totalitarian system at some stage of its takeover of society launches a purge of political opponents, ideological dissidents, and other antisocial deviants. Such purges can be brief or open-ended, and they can take any number of outward forms depending on the type of totalitarian system, but you cannot have totalitarianism without them. The essence of totalitarianism, regardless of which costumes and ideology it wears, is a desire to completely control society, every wow. aspect of society, every individual behavior and thought, every totalitarian system, whether an entire nation, a tiny cult, or any other form of social body evolves toward this unachievable goal, the total ideological transformation and control of every single element of society. This fanatical pursuit of total control absolute ideological uniformity and the elimination of all dissent is what makes totalitarianism totalitarianism. Thus, each new totalitarian system at some point in its evolution needs to launch a purge of those who refuse to conform to its official ideology. It needs to do this for two basic reasons. One, to segregate or otherwise eliminate actual political opponents and dissidents who pose a threat to the new regime, and two, more importantly, to establish the ideological territory within which the masses must now confine themselves in order to avoid being segregated or eliminated. Wow. The purge must be conducted openly, 
brutally so that the masses understand that the rules of society have changed forever, that their formal rights and for, former rights and freedoms are gone, and that from now on, any type of resistance or deviation from official ideology will not be tolerated and will be ruthlessly punished. The purge is usually launched during a state of emergency under imminent threat from some official quote-unquote enemy. It could wow. be quote-unquote communist infiltrators, counter-revolutionaries, or, you know, a devastating pandemic, such that the normal rules of society can be indefinitely suspended for the quote-unquote sake of survival. The more terrified the masses can be made, the more willing they will be to surrender their freedom and follow orders, no matter how insane. The lifeblood of totalitarianism is fear, fear of both the system's official enemy, which is constantly stoked with propaganda, and of the totalitarian system itself, that the brutality of the system is rationalized by the threat posed by the official enemy doesn't make it any less brutal or terrifying. Under totalitarian systems of any type or scale, fear is a constant and there is no escape from it. The masses' fear is then channeled into hatred, hatred of the official intervention whom the system encourages the masses to scapegoat. Thus, the purge is also a means of allowing the masses to purge themselves of their fear, to transform it into self-righteous hatred and unleash it on the intermention instead of the totalitarian system. Which oh, is wow. Yeah. Obviously would be suicidal. Welcome, beautiful world, to Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit and to resisting the status quo. Don't be a normie, folks. It's boring. It's lame. I mean, if you want to be a normie, you can. I'm not here to tell you anything, but if you are a normie, at least like try to think outside the box from time to time. Fuck. So tired of having fucking boring ass conversations with people you try to inject like a little bit of like weirdness or quirkiness to it and then people look at you like you're a psychopath and it's like can we just have a little fun here or does everything have to be a marvel movie all the time everything just has to be like self-referential ironic humor that's not humorous anyways <laughs> today i am a neutrino one of the known subatomic particles of our universe my name means little neutral one because I am an antisocial particle, subatomic particle that hardly interacts with other matter at all. For example, I pass through the entire Earth and I don't interact with a thing. I don't interact with nothing. No asphalt, no concrete, no history professor, no lava core, no jungle, no jaguar, no nothing. Pass right through. Unlike photons, I have no mass. Wait, no. Unlike photons, which have no mass, I, as a neutrino, do have some mass. But it is such a tiny amount of mass that it's impossible to measure and hard for us to even comprehend. The closest major source of me is the sun, and I am so tiny and so ubiquitous that every single second, so 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, every single second, 100 trillion with a T of me pass through your body night and day 24-7. Y'all, Grand Central Station is a vast space filled with a couple tortoises compared to the business of space at the subatomic level. 
Nobody really knows why I exist, to be honest, but at the same time, the very structure of the universe depends on me. Quantum physics is bananas, y'all, and that's why we love it, don't we, folks? I am also, as always, your loyal host, Conan Tanner. I think I said loyal host. I'm your loyal Haas today, your loyal Haas Conan. <laughs> Welcome back to the BMP, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for integrating me into your day. I'm coming at you from a sunny autumn, still pretty hot to be honest, but it's cool. Monday morning here in South Phoenix, Monday, my new upload date. It's been a very busy couple days for me, but I'm feeling good, ready to roll. Gonna get this thing out at some point today before midnight, and I'm stoked. Um, I hope you guys are doing really well in the rabbit holes of space and time, and I'm very excited for this episode. So this episode, I'm super stoked to welcome back to the BMP fan favorite Dr. Sylvie Salinger, PhD. Sylvie holds a PhD in philosophy, and she is an independent researcher extraordinaire. So the name of this episode is Anti-Mandate, Not Anti-Vax. And it is the goal of this episode to inject some nuance, reason, and importantly, compassion and understanding into the discourse around vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, workers being let go due to the mandates, and the emergence of digital IDs. Sylvia and I both agree, government government mandates when it comes to medical procedures, forced medical procedures, is bad. The Nuremberg Code of 1947 agrees with us on this. This vaccine mandate is a Trojan horse being leveraged to usher in a new form of totalitarian, capitalist, digital control of human beings, and that's bad. I've heard arguments in favor of the mandate that go something like this. Well, the government mandates traffic lights, and some public schools mandate other vaccines, so what's the difference? The differences, friends, are legion, and we're going to get into it in more depth in this conversation, but three points right up top to consider are this. Number one, the Moderna and Pfizer mRNA vaccines are not even classically vaccines. They are actually gene therapy drugs, and it says so on their SEC filing, which is available to the public. You can read it for yourself. They were filed as gene therapy drugs. Merriam-Webster actually changed the definition of vaccine earlier in 2020 in order to accommodate the new mRNA vaccines. So then you might be saying, Conan, you're crazy. What do you mean they're not vaccines? They are vaccines. But am I crazy though? Because these vaccines do not stop the transmissibility of the virus. The FDA Pfizer talking point being parroted on corporate media that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated is false. You are just as likely to spread the virus if you're jabbed or unjabbed. The mRNA vaccines do lessen your chances of becoming seriously ill, at least as far as we can tell in the short term. So if you're part of a very vulnerable demographic, such as elderly person, then the decision to get the vaccine is certainly understandable. However, Sylvie and I agree that it must be your decision. Bodily autonomy is essential. And if you think the government is going to stop with mandating just this one vaccine, then you're kidding yourself. I also want to add that bodily autonomy should not be like a left versus right issue. It's a human right. And as I said in the Nuremberg Code of 1947, it is a universal human right 
that you do not have to be forced to get any sort of medical procedure, including any sort of injection. It has to be your choice. And I think that is incredibly important. And again, the narrative that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated is false. And we're gonna get into all the stats and details in this conversation. And the third point right up top is <clears throat> natural immunity provides stronger and longer protection than the jab. A study out of Israel found that unjabbed people who have had COVID and recovered on their own were 13 times less likely to be reinfected by the original virus or variants of the virus. So thus, when a healthy young man like professional NBA player Jonathan Isaacs states that he is choosing to not get jabbed because he has previously been infected and has recovered and is thus now immunized and is actually 13 times less likely to be reinfected again or by a variant, then the decision to choose not to get jabbed makes sense, especially when you consider that vaccinated people can spread the virus just like unvaccinated people. So if you choose to get jabbed, you are protecting yourself and that is totally chill and that is your choice, but you are not protecting others. You're just not. I applaud Jonathan Isaacs and Kyrie Irving in the NBA for having the courage to speak out on this issue, knowing full well that there will be a full court press, but I'm ching, to demonize them in the corporate media. And now we're seeing it happen with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I can't even pay attention to all the demonization that's happening, but all these people are basically saying the same thing is that they were infected, they recovered, they cured themselves. Why are you so angry at people for curing themselves of a virus? I mean, especially since it's not like if you get jabbed and you can't spread the virus, you can. So what are we doing here, people? <laughs> Anyways, so that's all I'll say in the, uh, for the intro. The cold open this week was Sylvie reading an excellent and thought-provoking essay by the playwright C.J. Hopkins about this current situation. I also want to say up top that if you just try to like Google any of this stuff, you're going to see all the debunking sites because now there's like a bajillion debunking sites, Snopes, PolitiFact, like all of them. And you cannot trust these debunking sites. These are CIA propaganda outlets and they are lying to you. So just because a debunking site says something, you can't believe it. You have to do your own deep research. You have to listen to, you have to find sources. You know, there's a lot of doctors and nurses that are speaking out about this stuff. They're getting heavily censored, but that doesn't mean that they're somehow quacks. It means that they're being heavily censored. So I just wanted to point that out as well. As always, y'all, I can really use your help to spread the word about the BMP and to keep me on the air. So please rate, review, and subscribe if you have not done so already. I appreciate you spreading the word and telling a friend about the BMP. If you could tell one friend about the BMP this week, I would be eternally grateful. And I can really use your financial support. I am struggling to stay afloat and I want to continue putting out the podcast, but I do need more help. So all I'm asking for is just $1 a month. If you would just go to patreon.com slash noetics and you can sign up for as little as $1 a month you receive a dream interpretation when you sign up and an original haiku. And I would be eternally grateful to you and it would help me to, to keep me on the air. So if you enjoy what I'm doing here on the BMP, please help me out. And I appreciate you guys so much. I send lots of love and good vibes to you from sunny Monday here in South Phoenix. 
And wherever you may be in the rabbit holes of space and time, I hope you are sprinkled with blessings and positive vibes. And let's go ahead and get into this episode with fan favorite Dr. Sylvie Salinger, PhD. Who can kill a general in his bed? Overthrow dictators if they're red. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can buy a government so cheap? Change a cabinet without a squeak. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can train gorillas by the dozens? Send them out to kill their untrained cousins. Fucking amen. CIA man. Who can get a budget that's so great? Who will be the 51st state? Who has got the secret of service? The one that makes the other service nervous. What's your name, man? CIA man. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Barbarian Noetics podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, fan favorite back in the house. We have Dr. Sylvie Salinger. What's up, Sylvie? I'm so excited to be back. Hell yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, Sylvie, Dr. Sylvie Salinger holds a PhD in philosophy. She is an independent researcher extraordinaire, and she's going to help us unpack all the shit that's been going down. It's on everybody's mind. No one can feels like they can talk about it. So here on the BMP, we're going to try to talk about it. We're going to break it down. And uh, what we're talking about here is the government rollout as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I want to say from the outset that I am not anti-vax. I am critical of the government rollout across the entire world particularly in the US, but also a bunch of other countries. We're going to talk about Australia, Lithuania. We're going to talk about one country that is never mentioned because they didn't obey any of the universal, you know, supposedly perfect, uh, like, you know, uh, incontrovertible advice of all the other countries. They did their own thing, and that's Sweden. And if you look at Sweden's stats now, they're pretty damn good. So no one talks about that. So basically, I just wanted to kind of set from the outset the point of this conversation is to shed light on things that are happening in this world right now as we speak things are changing really fast talking to people in my day-to-day life i feel like a lot of people are kind of they have this sixth sense that something is off but people feel like they can't talk about it there's a lot of uh, demonization of people who are you know quote unquote vaccine hesitant or even people that question the establishment narrative. And what's funny is that the establishment narrative itself is contradicting itself all the time. Jen Psaki gets up there and, and just, it's like rolling the dice what she's gonna say from one day to the next, but they act like it's common sense and they act like you're like a lunatic if you even question it. And so that's what we're here today to try to shed light on some of this stuff. 
The point being so that we can resist what is clearly a rollout of some sort of the, the goal is control and the means is digital ID, basically, in a nutshell. It gets a lot deeper than that, but this pandemic is being leveraged in a certain kind of way. We saw it leveraged with the CARES Act, which is the largest transfer of wealth in human history. They had that waiting around. They were just waiting for an opportunity to pass that sucker. And, you know, this uh, generational biological health crisis happens and it gives them a chance to do it. I want to also say that uh, I take COVID very seriously. Having had COVID, I know that it fucking sucks. And so we're not here saying like, oh, you know, it doesn't exist or, oh, you shouldn't get vaccinated. That is not what we're saying. I think that people who are in uh, vulnerable demographics, elderly people, they should vaccinate for sure. It makes sense. For other demographics, it doesn't make sense. And we're going to get into that. Like young, healthy men does not really make sense. And that's why you have these NBA players like Kyrie Irving and Jonathan Isaacs uh, questioning it. And then they're pilloried in the mainstream media, uh, including also um, Nicki Minaj questioned it. All she did was just relay a story about her cousin having serious complications after the vaccine and she was pilloried. So it's like, we need to be able to have a nuanced conversation about it. And so I just wanted to say upfront that this is not uh, this is not an anti-vax thing. This is about this particular situation. This is about the experimental nature of this particular vaccine that's being pushed. And this is about the contradictions and really the insanity of these government rollouts that have been almost changing day to day, seemingly, which it almost seems intentional. It's like gaslighting us all the time, telling us one thing, then telling us another. Tony Fauci opened his his opening uh, salvo in this whole thing was to tell people that masks didn't work, and then later admits that he lied because he was worried there weren't enough masks for the nurses. It's like that's that was the opening salvo, and that's like the worst thing you can do in public health is to try to change narratives halfway through. You have to have consistency with your narrative. So, anyways, I think that's enough of an intro. I want to let Sylvie talk a little bit about uh, just the last year and a half for you, how it's been for you as someone who is independent minded and you know knows how to research and has simply just been paying attention to what's been going on. So I'm gonna let you speak on that. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I've been really black pilled in this past year, um, a lot more cynical now than I used to be, unfortunately. Um, still have a lot of hope though, hope in humankind, but very black-pilled, um, even more critical of big pharma than I used to be. Um, I'm not anti-big pharma completely. I use, you know, modern medicine uh, in moderation, and I'm not anti-vaccine as a blanket statement. However, I'll get into it in a bit how there's been this new speak adopted and actually the definition of anti-vaxxer has changed. Um, I am doing a deep dive into the vaccine over the past year and a half. I have become, I would say, more skeptical of the vaccine program that's suggested by pediatricians and the mainstream allopathic medical community in the United States because we have a huge number of vaccines that we tell children to take now. 
Um, one that's just a really common one that most individuals have taken is the MMR in the US. And if you look into Japan, Japan outlawed the MMR years ago. So they don't even take that. Um, I'm also not a fan of the flu vaccine. I think that for elderly folks, it makes sense. Or if someone obviously is, I'm not talking, I'm talking about healthy individuals, but if you're someone's immunocompromised or they have a certain condition that makes them a vulnerable uh, individual, then obviously maybe the flu vaccine would be the right choice for them. But for example, I've been taking a flu vaccine in 16 years. So I don't, I never feel the pressure to do that. I feel like it's a cash cow for healthy individuals. So I don't, I, I kind of don't understand the reasoning behind that. Um, I try yeah, and just really quick, sorry to interrupt you, but no one ever talks about how the antibodies that you develop naturally are more durable and more effective at fighting, especially like variants of viruses too. So like, right. If, if you feel like you are a healthy person and you know, you've had the flu before and you're like, well, I get the flu every couple of years. It sucks. You know, I make it through, I power through, I give my immune system what I need to be able to handle it. It does suck. Uh, once again, I had COVID. I was sick for a month. It really, really sucked, but I gave my immune system everything I needed. I stayed positive internally. You know, like, I think that actually matters, like positive self-talk, giving your immune system a little pep talk. And the science clearly demonstrates that if you have the privilege, and it is a privilege of being able to develop these natural antibodies, because some folks don't want to take that chance. And that's completely understandable. Um, you know, my parents are elderly. I'm glad they're vaccinated. You know, it's, that's a no brainer. However, it does show that natural antibodies, natural immunity is more effective, especially at fighting the variants of this, of this thing. So sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there continue. Yeah. So I've just become a little more skeptical. Uh, when you look at all of the ingredients that are in a vaccine, just in general, it's kind of insane. I mean, they're pretty much all like mostly toxins. And then the other things are like either, you know, you have like these viral vector vaccines that are made from like, uh, like monkey monkeys. And then you have like you know, the flu vaccine is grown in an egg. I mean, that's true. And then they're like derived from fetal cells, which it's not like I I'm upset that they're, I mean, like, I think it is sucky that it, it comes from a, an aborted fetus, but it's, it's not like even about that. It's about like, that seems unnatural to me that we are inserting that into our bodies or like, just like bovine serum or I don't even know what the exact. <laughs> I don't. Thing I is. mean, bovine serum sounds great. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, Who what doesn't is want some bovine, bovine serum? Bovine something. Anyway, can you, you talk know, a little bit about the toxins in the vaccines? Do you know I, anything about that? I mean, there's the there, graphene there, stuff, right? So this is like there's like polysorbate eighty. I think is in there. There's a couple. There's a couple ones that can induce anaphylaxis in vulnerable individuals. And I mean, it's like aluminum, like a lot of, I've been doing a deep dive into heavy metals too. And just like how heavy metals, like they've implicated heavy metals and like, okay. So there's like two things you can have like acute heavy metal poisoning, like acute mercury poisoning, or you could just eat a ton of tuna, like a shit ton of tuna, and then have like low levels of circulating mercury in your blood. That's just not good for you. And it can cause things like brain fog or just like other things. And they've shown that a lot of these heavy metals and these, you know, toxins, our environment, 
that, you know, leach into our foods or our waters, whatever, they contribute to things like Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, all these medical problems of the, this century that we are like, oh, we're so healthy. We have access to organic food. Why do we have this? Because of all these other things, all these other toxins that are always circulating that are just easy and efficient and cheap to manufacture. Exactly. And and, and, but they're like clogging, they're clogging up our bodies. And the um, FDA doesn't even consider new science after it approves something. It doesn't consider new science that comes out. So they do their tests, for example, like red 40 or whatever the fuck these, these food colorings are so carcinogenic. It's they've been so many of the ingredients that we eat all the time as Americans have been outlawed in like the rest of the developed and much of the global South. Like 100. it's not the things that we are allowed to put in our bodies. And it's all for the sake of profit. Like you said, it's, it's very simple. Yeah. Like it's, PFAS, PFAS, those long lasting chemicals, those line all of the, um, or the used to line all of the microwave popcorn bags. And like, that's been way cool. like a long time ago outlawed in Europe, but we still have that. And then, yeah, the artificial flavorings, they've, they've like linked those to a lot of mental health, uh, psychological health conditions, hyperactivity in young kids, but then they put them in all the foods for the young kids. So I don't know why we have our, all these artificial colors. It's very easy to use like beet juice to, or carrot juice totally. to color things or just to have it not be colored right you know, but it, it might like cost a couple more cents and because of our psychotic system where these corporations have to generate infinite growth every quarter it means that they just have to make life shittier for us every quarter basically and so that you're exactly right that it's just it's because it's cheaper and because it's like momentum like this is how we make it what are you talking about this is just how we make it and because we don't have a regulatory agency in this country that's like that's not compromised like we don't have an actual, we don't have regulatory agencies in this country. We just have like corporate, like revolving door bullshit. And it's like, it's, it's just nuts. And it's like, you look at, they have you coming and going because if you think about it, like, okay, yeah, we're going to have the kids eat the food color. It causes mental problems, but great. Because then as big pharma, we can profit from their mental health crises, you know, get them on Wellbutrin or Prozac for the rest of their life. And that's an, that's an income stream that then we can financialize because it's like a rent. If you know that every month they're going to buy their Prozac, every month they're going to buy their Wellbutrin, <clears throat> every month they're going to buy their Adderall, that is something that can be financialized. That's why everything more and more is becoming about rents so that, that this flow of, of currency can be leveraged like 20, 30, 100 times. And it literally is like vampirism if you think about it because we, you and I, the working class, listeners to the BMP, we're the ones actually like working in the real economy, using our real bodies and, and even like eating real food. We're the ones like existing and everything we do then is like leveraged and financialized and packaged and sold as these insane securities. And we have <clears throat> the financial system is completely out of control and the financial system, the global financial elites are actually what is like driving policy. So I don't want to get too derailed. <laughs> I just had I to throw that totally in. True. So it's it's called fetal calf serum. I looked it up. So that's oh, that sounds great. That's in a ton of vaccines anyway. It's just like, I mean, obviously <laughs> these are not natural things. 
to insert into one's body, but neither are many modern medicines and like what is in chemotherapy drugs, you know, none of these things are natural, but they can be life-saving. So that being said, I do think there's just a really aggressive vaccine schedule that they suggest for children. And I know some parents who have vaccine injured kids. And the whole thing is that there's this whole gaslighting thing that goes with, that goes along with, um, any, mom, it's usually a mom that speaks out about, about their vaccine injured kid. And it's just like, it's become this caricature in the media. And it's, it's really, it's really devastating, actually, and really tragic when you look into the vaccine injuries, like, um, Gardasil is another really strange vaccine that they've been pushing on young women and men for HPV, even though most like 90 plus 90% or 99% of American adults have at least one strain of HPV because there are many, many strains of HPV, but it's anyway, I could go on about this, but anyway, I've just become more, um, critical, I would say of the, of the vaccine aggressive vaccine pushing, but Mm -hmm. vaccines in general, I'm not against those, right? Like if, you know, there's, I'm going to go to a, a, another country where there's, circulating like another disease that I could get that would be, you know, horrible to get what, and there's an available vaccine that's been tested. It's been around, it's well tolerated. Yes, of course I would take it. Okay. So I am a fully vaccinated individual. Like my family members are not anti-vaccine going into the COVID vaccine a little bit. Um, I don't consider them vaccines, um, because I think they changed the definition to call it a vaccine. So I'll just say that when I talk about it as a vaccine, I'm just going with the change definition. But according to the old definition of vaccine, it is not a vaccine. It is an experimental. It's an uh, it's a therapeutic. You call it a drug therapeutic. You would never call this a vaccine based on how it behaves. And a lot of doctors and physicians have pointed that out. Um, Are you so talking about how it's like kind of leaky, like how you even though you can get the vaccine, you still have a viral load and you can still spread the virus and you can still catch the virus? Is that kind of what you mean? So, OK, so the so the traditional vaccine is an inactivated virus, and that's basically all the vaccines you ever get. And actually, the vaccine that's made in China, Sinovac, that is, I think, one of the only traditional vaccines on the market because it's the inactivated virus. I don't know if the Russian one, the Sputnik one, is an inactivated virus. The Cuban one is for sure. The Cuban one is for sure, but they don't don't even, the U.S. doesn't even count the Cuban vaccine, even though it's, like, really effective if you look at the stats. They don't even... Couldn't that be potentially dangerous? See, like, some universities are requiring students who come, who are international students who have a vaccine from their home country to get a second vaccine the moment they land here. So couldn't that be potentially dangerous to like make them vaccinate and you don't know the time frame and stuff? I think it's absolutely. Yeah. And so, you don't know how those two vaccines are going to interact. That hasn't been tested at all. It's just another example of how we are being guinea pigs in real time. And when you dig into the history of like how the US has been with like medical experimentation on human beings, this is not a new phenomenon. This is just more out in the open and it's like a mass guinea pig testing thing. But it's you if you if you pretend that that's not the case, I'm sorry, but you're just deluding yourself. These things have been rushed through, you know, not to mention the fact that like when you say like the FDA approves something, big pharma owns the FDA. So you're just saying that big pharma just authorized their own shit. I mean, it's like 
it's not an exaggeration to say that they get all their money from big pharma. It's, we've had total corporate capture in the country. Right. And so all the stuff we're Our talking regulatory about. Regulatory capture is real. Absolutely. Um, this so is, you, I'm showing you this. I'm taking, like, I take like NAC now, and that's supposed to help you with like circulating spike protein. And since I don't know if I've had the virus or not, um, and I am not vaccinated, um, I take this because since I do go out and about in the public, there's, there is circulating spike protein. And I'm sure I've, I'm certain I've been, you know, exposed to the virus or multiple times I have not gotten it that I know of knock on wood, even though I was really sick a year and a half ago, but the FDA was trying to get this or like Amazon was trying to take this off so that you couldn't buy it on Amazon NEC. Um, which is crazy, but so what does it stand for again? It stands for N. Hold N it up. It's N-acetyl L-cysteine. N-acetyl L-cysteine or NAC is the name of the supplement. Yeah, and this. So that's that. That there was like there are some articles on that, but there was this long list of different herbs that like the FDA wanted to stop. Like oh yeah. They're on a constant war path to just like anything that competes with their bottom line. They're on a constant war path to like make illegal or somehow like impede our ability to get it. And yeah, right. the, all the, all the weird shit with like stuff that's not, Amazon doesn't allow to be sold. And like, it's wild. Like it, the censorship that we're experiencing is not just with freedom of speech. It's with like freedom of everything like freedom to exist like we we are our reality is being like uh curated yeah so anyways but you were talking about the new speak and i think that's yes, really I did interesting want to talk about okay so i did want to talk about the new speak so um if you're also a fan of 1984 um speak is the fictional language in the land of oceana and these are the three terms over the past couple years that have been redefined. I think pandemic was redefined about in 2009, I think. I'm not certain about that, but so pandemic was redefined. I would consider COVID-19 or which like, like SARS-CoV-2 is the virus and COVID-19 is the disease. So you can have like the virus, but not have it progress into the disease. But anyway, I guess we'll just re refer to it as COVID-19, but COVID-19, um, that is no longer, I, I would say a pandemic. I think it's endemic and it depends also on what you think about the, the reality of the, the case totals. And then also the reality of dying with or dying primarily from COVID. So was COVID the number one cause of death or did you die of other things and you died with COVID and mm -hmm. multiple state governments have admitted errors and calculations about this. And this is like in the mainstream media even. So the pandemic was redefined by the WHO and then anti-vaccine was also um, redefined. So I want to say something about the whole anti-vaccine thing. This is going to be the new, this is one of the new culture wars. So, you know, you've got like pro-life or anti-choice or pro-choice or, you know, um, pro-abortion, whatever you want to like those culture wars, there's a new culture war brewing and that's with the anti-vax. And th this has been happening for a while. Um, but it's come to a really big head now. So if you look up the United Nations 2030 agenda, it's called the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. 
And I believe that was drafted in around 2015, 2016. And one of the main goals on there years ago, like five, six years ago, was to develop digital immunization records Mm. and to combat vaccine hesitancy. That was a goal. The combating and the, the term vaccine hesitancy was defined and named and they made this whole, they, they developed a whole strategy around it. So there's all this psychological programming that we're not even aware of that's going on all the time about the demonization of what it means to be anti-vaccine and who is anti-vaccine. Mm-hmm. Who is anti-vaccine according to the mainstream media? It's a white privileged woman. But who are people that, who are some individuals who are not taking the vaccine out of choice? There are a lot of... Uh, individuals who are not white and not privileged who are choosing not to take the vaccine but that's not how they're they're painting what the anti-vaccine community is or what they think anti-vax is so anti-vax used to mean that you were against all vaccines you were skeptical of all vaccines in general and you didn't want to vaccinate your kids like some folks um, and like, you know, different alternate alternate communities or alternative uh, communities don't want to vaccinate their kids. Like the Amish don't vaccinate their kids. Right. And that's fine. I mean, it's a free choice. It's a free country. And like, if you want to do that, I'm not going to judge someone for not doing that. Right. Like it's your child. Absolutely. And the, the school system gets to choose what vaccines that they require and or they get to choose if they're exempt exemptions so there could be a religious school and they say you need mmr but you know if you have a note that explains why you never gave your kid mmr then maybe we'll still let them come in or you have a public school and they're like no sorry you have to have an mmr we don't we don't take exemptions and that's been pretty standard okay but now what is so anti-vaccine used to be people who just in general don't take vaccines most vaccines okay or just are skeptical of even giving their children the normal vaccines that are just have always been like standard Mm -hmm. now this is the new definition of anti-vaccine and this is on miriamwebster.com wow yeah this is the this (laughs) is the definition a person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccination. That's right. Wow. So now they've changed it in Newspeak. If you question the government mandating that you have something foreign put into your body that makes you an anti-vaxxer. Damn. And I and think that's insane. Now, do you mind if I take a quick pause and just read the Nuremberg Code? I think that like flows into that really well. Is that okay? Yep. Okay. So like the Nuremberg Convention in 1947, they talk about what are permissible medical experiments and what are not, because it was obviously the Nuremberg uh, trials and the Nuremberg Code were a response to the the horrors of the Holocaust and the you know, all the forced medical treatments and all sorts of horrors. So this was a universal code presented to humanity as like our fundamental universal human rights. So this is from the Nuremberg Code in 1947. Number one, 
The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him or her to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This latter element requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject, there should be made known to, known to him or her the nature, duration, and purpose of the experiment, the method and means by which it is to be conducted, all inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected and the effects upon his or her health or person which may possibly come from his or her participation in the experiment. The duty and responsibility for ascertaining the quality of the consent rests upon each individual who initi initiates, directs, or engages in the experiment. It is a personal duty and responsibility which may not be delegated to another with impunity. And then the, that was the first code for permissible medical experiments. And then number three is the experiment should be so designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of the natural history of the disease or other problem under study that the anticipated results justify the performance of the experiment. So it goes on from there. You, you, I'll have it in the description, the whole Nuremberg code, but that is something that is guaranteed to us all as human beings. It's one of our foundational rights. And that is just, it goes without saying that that's been trampled on every which way, every which possible way. And then on top of that, on top of it being trampled, then people who assert their own rights under the Nuremberg Convention are vilified, as Sylvie's been saying. And this is creating a two-tier society. Uh, again, it's a, it's a culture war thing, but it's almost like a culture war thing on steroids, because this is almost creating like an apartheid state where either you have your papers showing that you've submitted to the mandate or you don't. And if you don't, you can't participate in society. And that's, you know, we've, we've all experienced that for ourselves by this point. And so it's like, it's, it's just wild to me that it's just crazy that this is all happening. Sylvie. I don't know. It's like blown my mind. You were going to talk a little bit, I think too, about just like the emotional experience of the last year and a half for you. Yeah. So coercion, coercion, coercion. That's, that's what's going on today. Um, I did want to talk about, so Newspeak, the three words that have been redefined are pandemic, anti-vaxxer, and then also what constitutes a vaccine. So I do have an article that kind of talks about that, that I wanted to read from. So prior to 2015, vaccination was defined as the injection of a killed or weakened infectious organism in order to prevent the diseases. So that would be like the inactivated virus, like Sinovac. Between 2015 and 2021, the term was redefined as the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to, produ to produce immunity to a specific disease. And then by September 2021, the definition read the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce protection from a specific disease. And now it's defined in the CDC's current glossary of terms as the physical act of administering any vaccine or toxoid. And so now it's like become, it's like something that it's like a therapeutic and a vaccine could be synonymous now. And that, that, that wasn't historically 
uh, well, that wasn't the case historically. Mm -hmm. So like these new vaccines, the viral vector one is a a chimpanzee adenovirus um, viral vector vaccine. So that's like AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson. And then the other ones that are being pushed, I would say the most would be Mm -hmm. um, Pfizer in the Moderna vaccine, modify your DNA mode and, you know, modify Mm -hmm. your DNA. And um, Mm -hmm. I looked up the the SEC filing and I think I've sent you that link to that, but you can put it, you know, in the description, but, um, in the SEC filing with the government, Moderna says that this is a gene therapy product. It's an open thing. Anyone can see it. SEC filing, one of the most official filings, they define the Moderna vaccine as a gene therapy product. Um, the MRNA vaccines, this is a completely novel way of teaching the a body how to fight a virus. So mm-hmm. the inactivated virus is very simple to me. I accept that one. I would, if I was forced to like at gun, like if at gunpoint, if I was forced to take one of the vaccines, I would be like, give me an inactivated virus one. Give me the traditional vaccine. I don't want any of this new shit. Cause I don't trust this new shit yet because it hasn't been around long enough. And we have never why like widespread adopted MRNA um, technology, mRNA therapeutics like this before. So mRNA has been in the works for 20 plus years. That's correct. And especially for like cancer drugs, but developing mRNA vaccine. So there have been a couple, so I'm not, you know, a biochemist, so I can't go into the, the technicalities of the, of this, but I found quite a few articles that have questioned whether it can actually modify your DNA have an, have an impact on your genetics. So, um, there are a couple ways that it can actually, so they haven't shown it, but there are definitely like hypothesized ways. And there's some like articles, so I can send those on. And then the other thing I want to say is that, um, I don't even think this is an innocuous vaccine for older folks. So there are tons of, um, nursing homes where it was administered and mm. people died within a week of getting it mm. because, and then a lot of, I think a lot of folks died. I think, so there's been, if you're looking in the news, you'll see that ERs are filled with folks, but they're not in for COVID. And there are a bunch of unexplained, unexpected, sudden deaths that are occurring mm. and people having cardiac problems out the wazoo. And I think this is all caused by the vaccine. And if you look up the physicians that are being suppressed and censored, most of them are saying that, okay, so COVID-19, as the disease progresses, it causes microclotting throughout your body. And the vaccine induces the same thing, mm. except that most vaccines are supposed to stay in the deltoid muscle. But this vaccine they show travels to other parts of the body. It can travel across the brain. It can travel and accumulate in the ovaries. Whoa. I have the document from the Japanese data where they talk about the pharmacokinetics and they show where the vaccine ends up and accumulates. And I'm not saying it stays there forever, but a ton of it ended up in the testes. A ton of it ended up in the ovaries. Wow. all throughout distributed throughout the body this is why these people are getting all of these insane vaccine injuries you're talking about the mrna ones 
this is the mRNA ones. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I can get the, I have the PDF of all the data and stuff. And Holy there are also shit. two whistleblowers, this really famous guy, uh, Wolfgang Woodard and this other guy who is the ex head of Pfizer. And they both sent, um, a letter a year and a half ago that said like, please do not like mass distribute these vaccines. They're going to like wreck the immune system. And then, I mean, there's like some other Nobel prize, um, winner who said he would never take this. And he's like in his seventies or eighties because he says it's going to wreck the immune system. So a lot of folks are questioning, um, what this can like, cause they don't know it can, it, it, it's, it circulates, it can circulate throughout the body and end up in, in accumulating weird places. And, um, the other thing is that some folks have found that the vaccine isn't being injected properly. So you're I was going to talk ask, about that. Yes. Yeah, you're supposed to aspirate it. Um, and let and me explain that really quick. So ask when you aspirate the, the needle, what that means is, so you get the you get the vaccine ready you you put it in the arm you're supposed to pull back a tiny bit before you inject it the purpose being to see if there's blood when you pull it back because that if when you pull it back a little bit if there's blood that means that the tip of the needle is actually in a vein and you're going to be pumping the vaccine directly into the vein and that is unhealthy that causes heart inflammation and myocarditis, which is what we keep hearing about, especially like young, healthy people get the vaccine and then they experience heart inflammation and myocarditis. I have personal experience. My friend who is a doctor who talks to me confidentially says that he's getting flooded with young, mostly young men who have heart inflammation and myocarditis after receiving the vaccine. And that's because they're not required to aspirate it. And if you think about even like the st statistical probability, it's not probable that the tip of the needle is going to be in the vein. It's not. Most of the time it's going to go into the muscle, but sometimes it is going to be, if you're not checking, if you're not doing the proper procedure, sometimes you are going to be shooting it into the vein. And so then you have these percentage of people that experience the myocarditis and the heart inflammation. To me, that seems like criminal that that is not being talked about or acknowledged. That seems like such a basic, that's just like right practices, best practices. Like I've seen interviews with, with nurses and nurses, practi nurse practitioners, mm -hmm. even people who train other nurses and they're losing their minds about this, just saying like, why aren't we requ requiring people to aspirate the needle? Because I guarantee you that would cut down on the myocarditis and the heart inflammation tremendously. Just blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, the whole VARES thing is really messed up. So if you look at the VARES, um, which is again, not re super regulated, but they like a Harvard study said that it's a, an under a huge un underestimation of the true extent of vaccine injuries. And if you look at it now or, or the open bears project project, there are a huge amount of vaccine injuries. And if you look at the amount of deaths, cumulative deaths from vaccines, it looks like a straight line. And then all of a sudden it like, is like exponential shoot up all the way in 2020. It's, it's insane. If you look, if you like plot the graph of just, um, VAERS deaths from COVID, I mean, from not from COVID from vaccines, um, that's insane. So I also have a friend. So, um, 
one of my good friends from college, her husband is in his 30s and is a healthy individual, has no underlying conditions, had the vaccine. I don't know which one. I think it was probably Pfizer Moderna. And he had a heart attack, developed myocarditis, ended up in the ICU, barely made it out, and now has to do with deal with myocarditis. And he was a man in his 30s. It's not even like a 15-year-old, because I would not recommend this for 15-year-olds, but it's like they're recommending it for working, working age individuals, right? So that's someone in their 30s. This is like mid to late 30s. They had the same reaction as the 15-year-old that you hear of. So I know of quite a few people with vaccine injuries and some women in my family have had benign masses in their breasts in the last six months. And I think that's very strange as well. And um, lumps, um, weird lumps and masses that just seem to appear. Um, So there's been a lot of really strange reactions to this vaccine and we have no idea what damage it could potentially do on the immune system long-term, or if like there's going to be any runaway process that causes, you know, some sort of change to be made in one's, you know, genetics. So like, Uh, I mean, we should also mention that the Moderna vaccine has been banned in several countries, including Finland, I think. Yeah. Like Sweden, like I, I don't know exactly which, but several of the Scandinavian countries yeah. have either either strongly advised against That's or right. straight out banned the Moderna vaccine for those under 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a big deal. So whereas um, here, it's like that one's being pushed the hardest, that one and the Pfizer one. Yeah. And, uh, and Pfizer, like own Pfizer, like literally pretty much owns like all of corporate media. Like they, if every time there's like any sort of segment, they always say like brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer, like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they're all brought to you by Pfizer. So you have these talking heads telling us to like, you're a demon if you even question like these, these mandates to get the Pfizer and it's brought to you by Pfizer. It's like, it's very dystopian. It really is. Yeah, I've run into quite a few. So I don't really tell folks that I'm unvaccinated because it's an automatic, like, you know, scarlet letter, right? Also, you shouldn't have to. It's a private matter. Like the, oh, yeah. this idea that we should just be required to announce our vaccination statuses. It's, it's crazy. And a year, even just one year ago, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Tony Fauci all said that you can't mandate vaccines. They said that into the camera. They were like, you can't. Uh, you can't that's what the words they chose they said you just can't do that that's not something you can do it's a it's a voluntary decision What's up, you erudite egrets? We're going to get right back into this episode of the BMP with Dr. Sylvie Salinger. But first, a very important PSA from the Society for Closed-Mouthed Middle-Aged White Men.
here at the Society for Closed-Mouthed Middle-Aged White Men want to remind you, as a middle-aged white man, pay at least a little attention to your face while you engage with the world. Strolling around in public with your mouth agog like a 28 days later zombie is a bad look. And it's only your white privilege that has prevented others to this point from crossing sidewalks to avoid you, covering their children's eyes as you pass, or informing you that you look like a lunatic. Remember, when you're in public, that means your face is visible to others. Close your mouth while you walk, and maybe soften your eyes a bit too. You look like a sociopath. This has been a PSA from the Society for Closed Mouth Middle-Aged White Men, reminding you that, in public, people see your face. soft power moves like you want to go to a concert you have to show your papers you want to do this you have to show your papers you want to go across the border you have to show your papers and it's like again it's creating this two-tier society of it's and we're going to kind of pivot pretty soon i think to like the government response to mm -hmm. the, this virus because that's really like that's actually what i find like the most disturbing we're talking about all the contradictions and the misinformation right now about just the straight up knowledge about what's happening with the vaccine but but beyond that like the mandates and the regulations and the the government response is completely off the wall we're going to get into that in a second but yeah, yeah this um, there's a couple things so like you had mentioned emotional well-being and stuff and yeah i've really struggled with it um the amount of lies that we've been told just like how much the cdc and just like how you mentioned like how fauci biden promised he, he ran saying that he would never right. mandate vaccines and now he just tried to mandate vaccines or even i don't even know if that executive order is like set in stone yet but um like they flip-flopped so many times. The CDC has given ridiculous, ridiculous advice about COVID. They've known from the beginning that fomites were not a big issue, yet we've been sanitizing everything. 
And they, I, I believe that that was used as a way to roll out um, cashless forms of payment because you go to a, you know, a movie theater or you go to a sporting event and they say, because of COVID, due to COVID, we have decided we no longer accept cash at this, you know, baseball stadium. We have gone to card, complete card. And then, oh, by the way, we've adopted all these new readers. So you, you just have to scan your card now. And we, mm-hmm. we suggest you do a QR code and that you don't even have a card because a card is handling more things. Even though I don't know any case where they said it was like someone had COVID virus on their hand and gave someone a $5 bill and the other person took it and, oh, no, they got COVID. No, I don't think that that that's that many people got COVID that way at all. So that was total bullshit. 100% bullshit. And really they, quick, what are fomites again? Fomites what, what? are just like the, just like it, fomites are like it, the physical, like the virus existing like on a physical surface. Okay. Okay. And that's I, what the I, CDC I has been. Another, like definition of it. Is it like surfaces that can carry the virus? Let's see. What I, I want to like give a good definition. It's objects or materials which are likely to carry infections such as clothes, utensils, and furniture. Okay. Okay. Got it. And so what what the CDC has been saying about the fomites has been all over the map. Is that what you were saying? So they've been using, so from the beginning, the science has shown a couple things. From like, from like, I think three to four months in, like, let's just say six months. From six months into COVID, they knew these three things. One, that it had a very, very low infection fatality rate that they guesstimated was around 0.2%, 0.2%. We knew that within six months. Second thing we knew within six months was that fomites weren't a big deal. This virus was not usually transmitted by physical objects. It was usually transmitted by via the air. And then three would be, um, they knew that this didn't affect children at all. Right. Statistically, like their chance of having a severe outcome from COVID is like 0%. And actually we've shown that like a lot of the, and like, in severe flu seasons, more children in the United States die from pediatric flu than from COVID. And that's mm-hmm. on the CDC website, easy stats to look up. Um, and like, unfortunately, there have been some rare cases where a healthy kid has gotten uh, COVID and passed on, but those are super, super rare. And, but that is unfortunate that it has happened, but that happens even with the flu, Right. And it happens more with the with the flu when it's a bad flu season. For sure. Um, so those are some things that the I that the scientific community kind of knew from from within the six months. But for for the next year, so let's say that's like June 2020, we know these things. From June 2020 till now, they've been rolling out cashless payments because right. they wanted to roll out cashless payments. Absolutely. Not because, not because of fomites. Right. Not because of that was a main mo- mode of transmission. Also, masks. Um, I believe now, after studying this for a long time, I was a super pro masker at the beginning, masking all the time, masking all the time. 
Um, now, after doing a deep dive, I think that they are, have like a negligible negligible impact unless they are a form fitted, um, like PPE actually like medically fitted mask. So if you have like an N95 respirator and it's actually like perfectly like it's it's like suctioned onto your face, mm-hmm. so it can do something and it can and. Any of the masks can, you know, like keep droplets from coming on you, but it's like the actual virus is so infinitesimal. The cloth masks do nothing. And, and even an N95 that you get like a, um, a knockoff N95, if it has like, even like a tiny little bit of an opening, you can still breathe in the thing. So if you're with a highly infectious person in a room and they're actively infectious and you're right next to them talking to them and there's no air circulation and you're wearing a mask, you're probably going to get it. I know tons of people who got it that way while wearing masks. I think that masks have been an intervention that have been symbolic. I think Mm. it's the government honestly wanting us to think that we're in a pandemic because guess what? You go to Florida right now, no one's acting like we're in a pandemic right now. They're acting like it's endemic, like it's a flu, like it's something that mainly affects older people, which is true. These are all true things. But if you don't have the mask, the mask is the biggest signifier. I think that's the biggest thing that changes one's behavior is to have the mask in in American society. So I think it's in Asian countries where they've had to adopt it earlier because of, you know, the SARS um, epidemics, then it's more, it's more normalized there. And so wearing a mask there now isn't this huge behavioral change for them. But I think that in the United States and in other Western countries where it wasn't, that wasn't, you know, status quo to wear a mask during flu season, that this is a way of reminding people, hey, hey, you're, you're in a pandemic now. Right. Hey, don't forget. Don't forget that you're in a pandemic. And then meanwhile, the Joe Biden's head of the COVID response, the federal head of the COVID response, told us all that it was endemic. He said that everyone is going to catch COVID at some point at this point. It's not this idea that it's going to be contained is just that that went out the window a long time ago. So Which it's is, like, I wish we just worked on early treatment from the beginning. Absolutely. Because obviously it would have, we knew it was going to take a minimum of a year to get some sort of vaccine, quote unquote, vaccine out. So mm-hmm. we should have focused on early treatments through whatever we could at people in an outpatient setting, like all of these physicians that I've been following for the past year that have been like totally murdered by the media, right. but have like shown that ivermectin's been working in many other countries and have all these randomized. Yes. Trials like Uttar Pradesh and all these places. Yes. And um, really quick, really quick timeout. The ivermectin thing is not is crazy. Like the 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 way that people talk in the mainstream about ivermectin is so insane. So ivermectin won a Nobel Prize, or the inventor of ivermectin won a Nobel Prize in 2015 because it has saved literally millions of lives because it's extremely effective at, uh, what is it, river blindness and like many other sicknesses that- Parasites. Parasites, yeah. It's like, it's extremely effective. And so- And it's well-tolerated. It's not like a medication that has a ton of horrible side effects. And sorry, keep going. So like the the whole thing of like the horse dewormer is like, it's also a veterinary medicine. So when you give it to a horse, you give a horse dose. When you give it to a human, you get a human dose, but it won the Nobel prize for humans. 
<laughs> for saving human lives. So this slandering of it, that it's a horse dewormer and somehow getting like angry, like Mm -hmm. My own friends and people on the left, especially, get so angry about ivermectin. Like you mentioned ivermectin, it's like all of a sudden you're you're all, you're seen as like some kind of a freak. And it's like, hold up, what are we talking about here? Because as you said, it was clear that it was going to take at least a year to get a vaccine out when we realized that this thing was hitting. Why would you not throw everything you can at it that's not going to harm you? And ivermectin is an example of a drug that's cheap to make, it is well tolerated, and it helps a lot. It's such a stupid cliche at this point, but Joe Rogan fucking cured himself and Jimmy Dore too. They both cured themselves on ivermectin. And like, we're going to talk about Australia later on, but there's literally advertisements in Australia making fun of Joe Rogan as like yeah. a basic, they, 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 their new branding is vaccination, like vaccine and then nation with like the shape of Australia. That's like their new branding. They're like, it's a biomedical police state and they're running advertisements basically framing Joe Rogan as like a raving lunatic and anyone who listens to Joe Rogan is a raving lunatic. Do I agree with everything that Joe Rogan says? Of course not. Is Joe Rogan a human being who took a drug and got better? Yeah, that's, that's the facts. Yeah. Well, he I just also, don't understand yeah. the fucking crazed slandering about ivermectin. Like, what is that? Yeah, I think it's pretty nuts. Okay, so this is the other thing that they never did. They never talked to people. Okay, so all of the government's response to the virus are that like the impact it had on the average person. And I'm not talking about the elite that could fly around in private jets and go oh, everywhere and live yeah. like a life, but how it impacted the average person. All of their interventions were things that were bad for health. So fear. Right. That wrecks the immune system and is bad for mental health. Fear also exacerbates any mental illness that's underlying. And it also usually contributes to substance use disorder and relapses for people. So that's awful. Yeah. Um, suicides definitely increased. Um, some individuals in my family are, are studying psychiatry and psychology and are looking and are and uh, work with individuals in that field. And there's been a huge, huge, huge increase. And they don't even, they're running out of like hospital beds at a lot of these psychiatric care facilities. I had friends whose children uh, were suicidal and they had, you know, problems trying to find a place for them to even be because they're, these places are so flooded. Okay. So we ruin children's lives when they're at no risk. They should have been in school since the beginning, never taken out of school. And I think that only the teachers who were, immunocompromised mm -hmm. or older should have taught virtually and that the young healthy people should have stayed teaching the kids because and this is what they did in sweden and we're going to talk about sweden yeah. later but this is literally yeah. you're describing what they actually did in sweden and sweden never did any lockdowns and they were lambasted in like the consensus reality news the bbc all these you know smug european countries were like laughing at sweden and I'm going to read an article in a little bit, which breaks down just exactly yeah. how it's played out in Sweden. It's and another thing good. for the Scandinavia is Scandinavians incorporate a lot of foods into their diet that help to supplement with vitamin D because when Scandinavia, there's less daylight in a lot of areas and I'm part Scandinavian and there's like less daylight in a lot of the areas and you're, and in the, in the winters are long. So they have cod liver oil. They just, they have a lot of things in their diet that are, that supplement for vitamin D because it's very easy to have a vitamin D deficiency there. Where's right. another place. It's easy to have vitamin D deficiency 
in an older folks home an elderly nursing oh home. shit you're right yes i never thought about so that when Damn. one of the major risk factors for covid and for having severe poor outcomes is having a vitamin d deficiency and for some weird reason the mainstream well i don't know it's not a weird reason but for a sinister reason the mainstream media poo-pooed the idea and but what people could have been doing this whole time is supplementing with nac if they wanted to supplementing with vitamin c and definitely supplementing with d and not just d in the form where you you, you take it like a supplement but trying to incorporate it into the foods they eat and also just getting more sunshine but mm. by scaring everyone into staying inside and even like in canada and um, australia like roping off playgrounds for children like that is legit like mental like that is mental that's that's a crime against humanity to rope off the playground for children now you have a spike and you're running out of beds because so many kids are committing suicide like the the, the government is acting criminally by doing these things these mandates are criminal not letting people go outside you know all those things anyway so i think that the government response all the things oh and there is a huge increase in the us of um childhood obesity so obesity in children skyrocketed mm. huge risk factor that's never talked about is like 80 percent approximately 80 percent of those who are hospitalized for covid are overweight obese or morbidly obese and i know a lot of people don't like these categories and i'm not trying to be fat phobic i'm just talking about sheer numbers and how medic medically we categorize um, individuals because right. people who have obesity usually have another comorbidity that comes along with that, like perhaps diabetes or hypertension or cholesterol, or they may be more sedentary individuals. And I'm not saying all of them are, cause I have a lot of obese friends who are active and fit and they don't like the term obese, you know, but what I'm saying is that that's another thing that's been ignored. And all of the government interventions were things that told you to stay at home, watch Netflix, don't <laughs> right. go outside, be scared to be outside. Yep. And if you don't have access, if you're anxious, you may not use um, working out as a means to release stress, or you may not have access to a gym and then they shut down the gyms. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly mental how the government respond and criminal how a lot of these um, governments, both locals at the local, state, and federal level, responded to COVID. Um, and I want to just jump in really quick. Like you mentioned, all of these things that we could have been doing, taking the vitamin D supplements, like integrating sunshine as much as possible. But all these things, all these things that you're talking about, they don't generate profits for the the big pharmaceutical industries. One hundred percent. That that there's been full regulatory capture. The FDA is big pharma. Big pharma is the FDA. There is no distinction anymore. So it's like that's the reason and the why. CDC. So the last yes, so and the CDC this week. Yep. There is an article, I mean, there's an article, there was a study that came out that I think will make the U.S. an outlier in claiming this. So the CDC is now claiming that the vaccines provide better immunity um, than natural infection, even though in Israel, which is like the best test bed we have for vaccination they've mm -hmm. shown that i think it was natural immunity is 38 times i believe it was 38 times stronger than vaccine than vaccination so the cdc did something and fudged some numbers because that makes zero sense but yet 
that was like number one hit for like every single mainstream media source. But like, if you asked the general consensus of the world outside of the US, they would be like, of course, because they do recognize natural immunity. I have a friend who just moved from LA to Italy. And she said that their green pass, which she's very much against the green pass, but for the green pass, you, you can either have, um, the vaccine for it or natural immunity, natural immunity counts the same as the vaccine in a lot of European countries. Makes so, sense. Makes yeah. total sense. I've been ranting and raving about this. Like yeah, there, was, there are a lot of lawsuits going on right now about this. And, um, I've been following this one doctor who was actually the head of bioethics and a psychiatrist at the University of California, Irvine. Damn. He had natural immunity and his COVID recovered. He's a father and has a family of like five kids or something like that, four or five kids. He made this case and brought up a lawsuit against the whole University of California system, which has been the most draconian in terms of um, oh, yeah. forcing all of the staff, employees, faculty, and students of the University of California system, which is a huge university system, I think one of the largest in the U.S., yeah. to have be vaccinated in order to work or to take courses there. Damn. And um he and then they denied it and now he's on unpaid leave from the university and he was head of the bioethics wow program there and he was a very like well received um psychiatrist he had patients and um professor there. So this is the type of thing that this, these are the type of fights that are happening. Another one, last thing I want to say is that um, when people talk about the mandates, and I've read this on a bunch of different articles, a lot of folks in the legal profession will bring up this one case from 1905, which is the la one of the last Supreme Court cases, one of the only Supreme Court cases that we can look at that deals with compulsory vaccination. Oh, wow. So this wow. case is from 1905 and it's called Jacobson v. Massachusetts. And it was a U.S. Supreme Court case in which the court upheld the authority of states to enforce com compulsory vaccination laws. So they said that individual liberty is not absolute and is subject to the police power of the state. Now, Everyone uses that case where, okay, clearly a lot has happened since 1905. So yeah, a few things. Like, do the rule, you know, do the rulings of 1905, you know, apply to 2021? I don't know. But there's something really important that everyone overlooks when they make this because like the New York Times, all of the mainstream media outlets, the ones that quote unquote, what Jimmy Dore would call the shit libs love, all of them go back to this case when you talk about how mandates are unethical. Okay, I think the mandate for COVID is 100% unethical. I am against all ma mandates, but I'm not against vaccines writ large. So I am not an anti-vaxxer by the older definition of it. But anyway, the one big thing with Jacobson v. Massachusetts, J Jacobson v. Massachusetts is that it dealt with the smallpox epidemic. Here's the big number. Smallpox infection fatality rate is 30%. Wow. 30%. COVID-19 infection fatality rate is from the last uh, guesstimation I read, like the global IFR infection fatality rate is 0.2%. So 0.2% versus 30%. Okay. I see a little bit their point <laughs> if it's a 30% infection fatality rate. 
But if it's, and, and then how advanced was modern medicine at that point? But now when we have all of these, we have like over the treatment antivirals from, I mean, over the counter antivirals that you can will soon be able to get from like Merck. And there are also these um, antivirals that they're trying to suppress. And um, they also have the monoclonal antibodies. And the infection fatality rate is 0.2%. How can you mandate the vaccine when it doesn't prevent transmission? There's no argument for a vaccine passport if it doesn't stop transmission. There's zero argument, no medical argument. And this this like big study came out this week that showed that the vaccinated versus unvaccinated carried the same amount of virus with Delta, mm-hmm. like for the Delta variant or like the Delta plus variant, whatever. So th- there's no argument. Also, I want to time out and point out that the most highly vaccinated countries in the world, I think it's Ireland and Israel have like massive rates of transmission and especially the Delta variant is like running rampant. And the last I heard, it was actually like 42% of even hospitalizations in those countries were vaccinated people. So it's not even preventing hospitalizations. It doesn't prevent transmission. Like I get it that it, it seems to like, as a writ large, it seems to um, dissuade like the worst symptoms of it. So that's why I, I say, like, if you want to get it, go for it. It's your prerogative. You know what I mean? But the idea, like you're saying, to completely transform society <laughs> forever, that, that's like what we're dealing with here. That's the stakes. They're talking about permanent transformation of society and in, imposition of a digital ID passport that with a click of a button from some asshole that you never even see can take you out of society. That's what they're like building and implementing as we speak. And it blows my mind that these two things are conflated, that somehow it's like good that there's a mandate and good that there's a passport because we have to fight the virus. It's like, I mean, we've already gone over so many of these points, but it's endemic. It's not a pandemic. The vaccine is a Trojan horse. Absolutely. And and it's just, it's insane because it, it doesn't, like I could see maybe an argument if it prevented transmission, but, but now that we know that it doesn't prevent transmission. And then if you look actually in some like suburbs in major cities, um, they've shown that like 50 to 60% of the people hospitalized now are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So it's not a pan, like it's been proven now that it's not a pandemic of the unvaccinated, like that, whatever that buzzword or buzz phrase was, that's not true at all. That's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That's just BS. Um, the other thing is that they're pushing the boosters now because yeah, at the beginning when everyone, because basically after six months, your, your antibodies are gone. So you have to just, right. boost, you just go hop on the booster train for life. Man. <laughs> Every six months, get another fucking booster and have the spike protein circulate in your body. Sounds like fun to me. Not like <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is like absurd. Like, I can't believe that the Israelis are accepting a fourth shot. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very concerned about Israel because I would not want to be a Guinea pig. I don't, I wouldn't be like, Yes, the Jewish people, we should all, you know, be guinea pigs for Pfizer. It doesn't right. make, like to me, like psychologically, it doesn't make sense. And there have been actually a lot of Orthodox Jews who have spoken out against um, 
the vaccine. And there are, Mm -hmm. there, there are quite a few folks in this like smaller movement there that are unvaccinated and that have spoken out against it. And there's like one doctor, Dr. Zelenko who practices in, I believe upstate New York. And he developed this thing called the Zelenko protocol. And it's like take zinc and like, I think hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And he's only lost like three patients out of like thousands or something like that. And he's treated all of them. And then, I mean, Joe Rogan said right in Congress that all these congressmen and women went to certain doctors to get ivermectin mm-hmm. and they were, you know, like quote unquote <laughs> yeah. saved by ivermectin. So yeah, the ivermectin thing is insane because the reason that people would have to resort to getting it in the horse version, the uh, equine version would be because the FDA is blocking right. pharmacists and penalizing pharmacists and doctors. Yes. Um, for prescribing it. So that's a good point. That's actually like, that's actually who you should be mad at the, with the FDA trying to block it or hospitals, um, you know, it's criminal. I mean, it's, it's flagrantly criminal behavior and it makes sense when you realize there's been total regulatory capture. So we have the hydroxychloroquine thing actually was another thing that black pilled me for a while. So like I was a hugely outspoken, you know, um, non, non fan of Trump. Okay. But Trump derangement syndrome, I actually, I was black pilled in this moment of Trump derangement <laughs> syndrome with the hydroxychloroquine <laughs> argument. Fuck, yeah. So, um, I've worked in a bunch of different settings and in one setting I worked in, I saw a lot of people who were on hydroxychloroquine and take it, um, like daily for lupus, for example, there are tons of people who take it every single day of their life. And if you take it every day, there can be some side effects and you may have to get some things monitored, some things, you know, with different organs, with your vision. Um, if you take it every single day. Okay. But for COVID, how long would you take it for? Maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. Okay. I know people who take it every single day and they're fine. It's a very well-tolerated drug. It's offered over the counter in most African countries. And it's just insane that that because it was something that Trump recommended, then everyone was like, hydroxychloroquine is this toxic, awful thing. And that was the number one, like, that was to me, one of those like revelatory moments where I was like, this is Trump derangement syndrome because everyone's just like orange man, bad orange man said hydroxychloroquine he must <laughs> right. be bad. Like, you know, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan has interviewed people who are white supremacists, Joe Rogan, which I don't think he has interviewed anyone who's an actual white supremacist. He's interviewed but- some real assholes. He has like some seals on there and sometimes it's, but you know, yeah, I get your point. I don't think anyone's I mean, been a flagrant white supremacist, but maybe, maybe a few people but how many people is he interviewed and exactly and like, is he, like and some of these people have changed their positions and stuff and like are you responsible for every single position a person holds i don't like i don't think there's anyone who is like in and maybe he's made some mistakes or he regrets some of them but i guess what i'm saying is that joe rogan himself is not a white supremacist right that's not and right. he definitely speaks about it all the time. He talks about how racism is real and systemic racism yes. is real and all this stuff. Anyway, yes, he talks about how we have to build up like um, the the inner cities. Like we have to put resources into the inner cities to help level the playing field. So it's like it's hard to disagree with that. So, but yeah, also it's like, what are we talking about here? What does this have to do with the people that Joe Rogan interviewed? What does that have to do with like facts, like right. that are said? You know what I mean? Like 
It's just so crazy. It's like, just, and this is Joe like the whole thing with the anti-vaccine thing. So if you question a mandate, then that right. means you're anti-vaccine. And then that means you believe X, Y, and Z things about, you know, vaccines. You're, you're this like nutcase who believes in new age things. Like that's a bad thing. That's not a bad thing in my head, but you know, right. like the, there are all these, just these caricatures of just whatever. And, and, and Trump derangement syndrome is one. Um, anything and, and the flip-flopping with the vaccines too, with the Trump, like w- w- when Trump was making operation warp speed, I'd never take that. And oh then yeah. Kamala Harris like, said oh, that she would not it. take Kamala Harris said she would not take a vaccine if it came out under Trump. <laughs> That's what she said. And, and now it's like, if you're vaccine hesitant, you're like the devil. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Like that's our vice president that said she wouldn't take the vaccine just because of it came out under Trump. And it's like, there was talk about, I don't want to get too like off the track here, but just like the pandemic has been leveraged to further an agenda, the Trump presidency was also leveraged to further an agenda. And it's just so crazy to me that like some of the most evil people in the world, like John Brennan, the sick fuck who was like whispering snake-like into Barack Obama's ear, his entire presidency. The reason why we went from two wars to seven under Barack Obama, the reason why we had like just black sites all over the place, disappearing people, that's John Brennan. And because of the Trump administration, because John Brennan came out against Donald Trump, he's like a weekly guest on MSNBCIA now. Like he's a weekly guest on there. And he's like one of the most despicable figures. He's even like, I can't recall the details right now, but he he was like um, he lied in in front of Congress or some sort of thing like that. Like the double standards that we hold for people like if you tell the establishment line, you never get in any trouble for lying or spewing misinformation. You know what I mean? So it's like a very like it's a very selectively imposed um, censoring on the misinformation thing like Joe Biden himself said pretty much every time he opens his mouth he says some misinformation and right. he said not that long ago in a town hall that you can't catch the virus if you get the vaccine joe biden yeah, said, that. said that multiple times i believe flagrant so, misinformation no one's censoring yeah. him no one is putting a little right. like you know little yeah uh, the censorship thing that's another <laughs> thing like um you actually like change help change my mind about the censorship of trump because once you say orange man bad trump bad then you can it's just a slippery slope from there honestly and and it's been that way like all of the you know journalists who've questioned the mainstream narrative about covid have been slowly censored like one of them being like alex berenson and he only cites government data he only cites government data like johns hopkins data or cdc data, and he was censored um and just all of these journalists or independent thinkers or independent researchers that I've been following over the past uh, year and a half have like slowly been censored by Twitter or by Facebook. And um, I think it's, what's his name? Robert Kennedy Jr. um, was censored. And he like, they said like the disinformation doesn't and like Dr. Mercola. And it's just like, it's just crazy how like the censorship it's like, yeah. So if you follow Noam Chomsky's older thought, and manufacturing yeah. before consent. he was mk ultrad yeah before he was like mk whatever happened to him. <laughs> whatever happened to gnome good god but gnome's like, talking about like exterminating unvaccinated people now yeah no, <laughs> it's bad it's bad but if you follow his older work then you would you know think no you shouldn't censor people unless they're like actually saying like let's meet at this time to like massacre these people. Okay, yeah, that's clearly incitement to violence, right? 
or, you know, like doxing people. Okay. That that's one of the rules on Twitter. You don't do that. Right. But like these things, like, I mean, it, I, I haven't watched the Tucker Carlson documentary yet, but like, if you look into January 6th enough, yeah, it's like the feds were like training these people, just like the feds, yes. like they train the proud boys and stuff they get. And like, yes. these people, if you look at the, there's this like video of them walking in there and the police officer is holding open the door and he waves them in. Like you can see his hand waving them in and these yeah, people yeah. aren't okay. So there, there were some individuals in that group who could have done damage, physical damage. Like they look like they were like military folks and they could have done damage. But then there were some people who were like 65 year old ladies who look like they'd never worked out in like 50 years. And they were just like, Oh, what's this place? Just looking around cluelessly. These people were not a threat to national security. Like no, those people, right. there were some people there that could have been, but there were a lot of people in there who were jokers they couldn't they they don't they wouldn't even know how to hack into a computer to steal government secrets if they wanted to like these people were like definitely planted there and they were like they didn't have to even fight to get in they were like led in there so that and just like the proud boys and all of these just like i don't know i've met some boomers recently that have um that when I was like traveling on the East coast, I met some boomers who were like the number one threat to America today is like the proud boys. And I was like, what? And like, <laughs> that's right. Crazy. Like right militia. And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think they make up enough people. And I don't well, think so. Think in like a way they- like they're right, but they don't realize it because the number one threat to Americans is the FBI and the FBI is the proud boys. So in a way they're, they're actually right, but not in the way they think, but right. um before we get too off track, I wanted to kind of pivot back to um, what, because I, I made a claim earlier and I, I don't want to feel like I'm just like making these wild claims and not backing it up. The claim I made is that this is this crisis is being leveraged into uh, forced adoption of a digital ID passport, which can either allow you to participate in society or not, depending on if you have the adequate QR code. So I just wanted to really quick read this article from 2016. Let's talk about ID 2020 a little bit. Um, So ID 2020, let me find it really quick. All right. So I'm going to read you guys this article that was written back in 2016. And keep in mind, this is called ID 2020. And it's a Gates Foundation thing. And who knows, maybe you know, the other people behind ID2020, but I know at least it was a uh, Gates Foundation thing in yeah. 2016. Gavi? With Gavi. So I just find it interesting that they created this ID2020 push in 2016, and then 2020 is the year of the pandemic. Just, I mean, another coincidence that I guess we just have to swallow. So this is from the ID2020 uh, written in 2016. The article is called immunization, an entry point for digital identity. All right. So, all right. It talks about, I guess I'll just read the whole article. Globally, an estimated 95% of children receive at least one dose of some vaccine. This number is staggering. No other public health intervention reaches more children and impacts more families. Yet, despite this initial contact rate, Only 37% of the children in the world's poorest countries are fully immunized, which, of course, that's a moving target, whatever that means, fully immunized. They're always adding more to that list. So 
meaning that they receive their full course of recommended vaccines. Ultimately, many children are left without comprehensive protection and vulnerable to many vaccine-preventable diseases. There are several reasons for low coverage rates, including the low quality of population data on, and reliance on outdated systems to track immunizations. But one critical challenge is the continued use of paper-based systems to record the doses that have been administered and indicate when a child needs to return for boosters. Unfortunately, the paper records kept within a clinic are often difficult to analyze. <laughs> what does that even mean? And the immunization cards given to families are prone to loss and inaccuracies. Without a persistent portable record that can be uniquely linked to the child, it's often difficult to ascertain the care a child needs. First of all, I'm gonna continue, but that's full of so many crazy misstatements. They're saying that parents can't take can't keep track of their own children's vaccinations. You know what I mean? Parents need it to be need like a digital reminder for their kids' vaccinations. It's just bonkers. So the article continues. In November, Dr. Seth Barkley, CEO of Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, wrote a piece for Nature that emphasized the pressing need to move to digital systems, so specifically those to identify and track those currently missing out in order to achieve 100% immunization coverage. That's another insane thing. 100% immunization coverage is insane. A lot of people can't have the vaccine for various reasons. It's counterindicative stuff. Some people, they have a certain type of immune issue that makes it so they actually should not get the vaccine, not to mention religious reasons for not getting it. But anyways, so the article continues. This message was reinforced at this year's World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland. <laughs> I love how they just come out and say it. <laughs> this message was reinforced at this year's World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland, where Gavi announced digital identity as the focus for its 2018 Infuse program. Infuse, Innovation for Uptake, Scale, and Equity in Immunization aims to identify and support innovative solutions that have the potential to modernize global health and immunization delivery. This year, Gavi is focusing its efforts on identifying opportunities. Sounds so creepy. Identifying opportunities for digital identity technologies to help facilitate better targeting, follow-up, and immunization service delivery for the world's most vulnerable children. Immunization poses a huge opportunity to scale digital identity. Let's read that back. Immunization poses a huge opportunity to scale digital identity. And notice how they move immediately. They've been talking about vaccines this whole time. They sneak that in. Digital identity. That's a whole other thing. That's what I'm talking about with the fully comprehensive digital passport that literally allows you to participate in society or not. This is, this is what they're talking about. Um, digital identity in many developing countries. Immunization coverage greatly exceeds birth registration rates. According to best available estimates, upwards of 95% of children globally receive at least one dose of one vaccine, blah, 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 blah. This is just some bullshit. Moving from easily lost or damaged paper health cards to an accessible digital form would reduce the burden associated with tracking a child's vaccines. It's such a burden to like, to like fucking do a little check mark on a piece of paper, such a burden and eliminate redundant or unnecessary paperwork. Yeah, I agree. We should transform our whole society and create a digital passport. So to eliminate unnecessary paperwork, I think that is, that's why we should just transform our entire society for sure. We need to eliminate unnecessary paperwork. So therefore I need to have a, a digital like neck collar that dictates whether or not I can go to the grocery store or not. Digital child health cards can improve coverage rates and vaccine compliance, vaccine compliance. 
by prompting parents to bring their children in for necessary subsequent doses. So it goes on from there. I guess I won't read the whole thing, but in my last podcast, I played that video of that creepy ass video from Talus Corporation where yeah. they, they have the advertisement for the digital ID wallet. And it's like, meet Lucy. She's a student in psychology. Lucy's kind of stressed out. Luckily, her digital ID wallet allows her, her new to, best friend is her new best friend. And like there's a QR code that that her like examiner can check immediately with. They don't mention that if there was like a glitch or something like that, then Lucy would just be fucked. <laughs> Lucy wouldn't right. be able to participate in society if there was any sort of glitch or internet outage or anything like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's so suspect to want to eliminate paper records because that's the shit they do in South Carolina. South Carolina is the only state in the U.S. that intentionally, when uh, digital voting machines were introduced, they intentionally said like we're going to do away with paper records altogether. Wow. That's obviously like so incredibly suspect because the whole point yeah. of having paper records is you can actually confirm shit like it's only been like you know we've since the dawn of time pretty much humans have been making paper records but they want to just scrap that completely you know not to mention if there's like some cataclysmic solar flare and it just like took out the entire world wide web for a few weeks like society would just grind to <laughs> grind to a halt and no one would be able to do anything there'd be like chaos in the streets so yeah this this digital id thing is fucking sketchy and then the other thing in the commercial for it with uh with lucy is it was like lucy's digital id is reminding her to get her mandatory vaccination shot before her exam like they even like throw that in there and i yeah. i'm sorry if i'm repeating myself from last week's episode but Talis is like a defense contractor. It's a French multinational defense contractor that specializes in remote weapons. So these are the people that we have, like, that's like, you know, the, the same assholes at DARPA, the same Epstein connected science advisors that was like, had no problem being uh, appointed by Joseph Biden. Like, anyways, I think I've, I've ranted long enough, but I just, I wanted to point that out that this is only one example. That article is only one example of so many like articles and literature you can see, which points directly to like very clearly stated this goal of total transformation of elimination of paper records and implementation of a digital ID that corresponds yes. uniquely to your person and then controls your money supply, controls, you know, fucking everything. Think about insurance, if they can pull up all your mm. medical history like that. And you know what I mean? Where like you, you think been? That, oh, you've been, you went to a <clears throat> bar last night or? Yeah, sorry, your insurance is gonna night. go up for the next three days. All right, beloved listeners, that wraps up part one of my conversation with the fantastic Dr. Sylvie Salinger. Thank you again so much to Sylvie for coming on and being so generous with her knowledge and her researching acumen. I appreciate it so much. It makes my job so much easier when I get someone like have to, <clears throat> when I can talk. When I can talk, it makes my job easier. Also, <laughs> when I have a guest like Sylvie on, it makes my job easier. So shout out to Sylvie, thanks again. And part two will drop next week, next Monday. And we get into the PCR tests and the flaws with the PCR testing system, how, um, the, the term is case-demic versus pandemic, how the number of cases uh, are misleading because the PCR tests are not, are not completely accurate. And we even feature a clip from the inventor of the PCR test himself, Kerry Mullis, uh, speaking about the flaws of the PCR tests. He died in 2019, conveniently, the inventor of the PCR test, so he can't speak out against it. But he used to speak out against Tony Fauci, uh, just calling him like a, you know, Love, loves the limelight and you know is not even a real fucking doctor anyways 
this is way more rambling than I planned to do for this tiny little... <laughs> so part two will drop next week. We also dig more deeper into the digital ID, the rollout of the digital ID, um, the evidence for that, and what the global financial elite are planning. So thank you for having an open mind. Thank you for sticking with me. I'm more than welcome to field any questions, um, good faith questions, constructive criticism. You know, I'm not impervious, obviously. Sylvie's not impervious. So... We're trying to have a dialogue. We're trying to inject some compassion and understanding into the dialogue. So, you know, feel free to reach out um, if, if you have a comment or, or even like a suggestion or feedback or you have information you'd like me to know, barbarian.noetics at gmail.com. And part two with Sylvie will drop next week. All right, everyone. Much love. What's up, everybody? For your outro today, I'm going to share a story with you. Um, so I was riding my electric llama the other day, minding my own business. I was on this street called McDowell. I avoid McDowell because it's a busy street, so I prefer not to use it. But sometimes when you have to get to a certain place, you have to use it for like a little bit. So I was just on there for like a block or two. And I was on the far right side. It was a Sunday, so it wasn't super crowded. There was plenty of room. There's a two-lane road, plenty of room to the left of me and then there was a whole left lane next to that that was open so i got my noise cancelling headphones in minding my own business pedaling my electric llama listening to some trance music stoned out of my gourd happy camper and then all of a sudden i hear now i have my noise cancelling headphones in so i hear it but it's not overpowering and it didn't startle me but i hear that there's someone is leaning on their horn behind me and so I look behind me and it's a monster truck that was like two feet away from my back tire keep in mind plenty of room to the left of me also a whole entire left lane there open available but for whatever reason this guy was having some kind of a day and so he's just leaning on his horn like almost hitting my back tire in this big truck now I think if I had not had my noise canceling headphones on I would be would have been more startled and probably would have just like I mean thank god I did have my noise canceling headphones because that's a good way to cause an accident if I like veer off and hit the curb or something so the noise canceling headphones actually worked to my great advantage in this situation so I, I wasn't startled and I didn't panic and I have a great I have a reservoir of inner rage <laughs> I think a lot of people do but I, I definitely do, and I'm not like romanticizing this, it's not something I love about myself, but it's there. You know, life is hard, we've all had trauma, difficulties, setbacks, failures, people that fuck us over, especially jobs. My, my, my reservoir of rage is definitely filled partially with emplo past employers, past jobs, just life fucking you over. So I do, I have a reservoir of rage, most of the time. It's just a reservoir, just just chill, calm waters. But sometimes, and I, I, 
This is a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I can't entirely <laughs> control when it comes out. Sometimes I'll admit that. So I looked behind me to see what I was dealing with here. And what I was dealing with was a middle-aged white man, pudgy ass middle-aged white man. He was screaming something at me and leaning on his horn. And I felt a great sense of calm emerge over me. <laughs> Because I decided that this motherfucker had fucked with the wrong person today. He had fucked with the wrong cracker today. I think he saw my, my, you know, my long hair or whatever, maybe made a judgment or something. He fucked with the wrong guy. So I always have my kubaton with me. It's around my neck. So I took it off from around my neck and I managed to, while keeping one hand on the bike to keep me steady, managed to brandish the kubaton and give him the finger at the same time which i do have to say i was pretty impressed with that maneuver and when i was a little kid i <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing also but hey i started the story i gotta finish it when i was a little kid i used to do this thing where i'd look in the mirror and make like demonic faces at myself because little kids do stupid shit but i'm kind of like it's kind of like I don't know, a sort of strength or whatever, because I guess it's good to have like a certain demonic face that you can put on at times. Like the New Zealand rugby team, they have like the haka and they do like their demonic face in the dance, the tongue out and like the crazy eyes. So I have my own demonic face. It's really fucked up looking. I would never do it to like anyone I cared about. <laughs> but on this particular day, in this particular moment, something kind of snapped in me and I was just like, I was ready for this motherfucker. So I made my demonic face at him. I had my shades on, but when I made eye contact with him, he looked shook as fuck. <laughs> Maybe he didn't expect the Kubaton. Maybe he didn't expect, expect the demon face. And I'm sure he didn't expect the epithets I was hurling at him, which I won't repeat here. So he was shook and he swerves off to the left, which was available to him the entire time. That choice was available to him. He chose to come up on me and fucking lean on the horn like that, which again, could have caused an accident if I hadn't had my noise canceling headphones on. And so he swerves off to the left and there's a red light ahead. And I was very excited because I was going to continue to fuck with this motherfucker. <laughs> so he scurries up to the red light. He sees that there's a red light. I think he sees that I'm quick on his tail because the electric llama can go 25. I mean, you know, no slow poke over here. And I'm uh, continuing to scream epithets at him. He veers, swerves into the right lane so he can make a right turn. And as he makes the right turn, I get to scream as loud as I can, RUN, BITCH! And uh, I have to admit that it kind of made my day, kind of made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So maybe that fucking asshole will think twice the next time he tries to sneak up on a bicyclist and lean on his horn and his big fucking truck. And then as soon as someone brandishes a kubaton, then he runs like a little bitch too. So, you know, that there's a lesson there as well. What do you, you know, what's up with that big truck? Like, what are you compensating for? Anyways, I wanted to share that story. So that's my outro today. Thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. If you can spare a dollar a month, I really do need your financial support to help keep me on the air, to help pay my bills. So if you like what I'm doing here on the BMP, please go to patreon.com noetics and sign up for just $1 a month. You get a dream interpretation and you get an original haiku and you get a direct line to me and you get my eternal gratitude and infinite good karma. 
You can also help me out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the BMP, and most importantly, spreading the word, telling a friend, and listening. So I really appreciate all my listeners. I hope you guys have a beautiful week, and uh, be good to yourselves, be excellent to each other, and I'll see you next week. Much love, everybody. Peace. I refuse to be a stereotype in your box Never wanna try to be something I'm not I'm just a nigga from the block If you got it twisted, stay blowing on green If you got it twisted on up DP's giving a fuck RBG'd up and some gangster chunks Throw your fists up, homie, if you know what's up All my comrades putting in soldier work We rolling dirty with it, fully dedicated So real at the radio and never play it But that's cool, the enemy's supposed to hate it Freedom ain't gonna come till we regulate And that's why I'm in the dojo, not just for the video Really though, we really got beef with the bobo Never know when they gonna put you in a chokehold This is for you new niggas hoeing for the radio Turn off the radio Turn off that bullshit Turn off the radio Turn off that bullshit Turn off the radio Turn off that bullshit Turn off the radio People's radio Yo, hang up, that's police What's on the radio? Propaganda, mind control And turning it on is like putting on the blindfold Cause when you bring in the real, you don't get rotation Let you take over the station And yeah, I know it's part of their plans To make us think it's all about party and dancing You it might sound good when you spin your rap But in reality, don't nobody live like that You wanna know what kind of nigga I am? Let me tell you about the nigga I'm not I don't fuck with the cops Platinum don't mean that it gotta be high I ain't gotta love it even if they play it a lot You can hear it when you walk the streets How many people they reach? How they use music to teach A radio program ain't a figure speech Don't sleep, cause you could be a radio freak Free Turn trick, off y'all. the radio Turn off that bullshit freak, freak, Turn off the radio Turn off that bullshit. Turn off the radio. Radio. People's radio. You on the air? I got a fat chain. I got a fat whip. I got a fan. Nigga, get off that bullshit. Crank up your speakers. Nigga, what? Nigga, get these black balls. In your mouth.